Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we start getting ready for the new English Premier League season as Nicolas Pepe's move to the Gunners makes him Africa's most expensive footballer ever. Also, we look at how the video assistant referee will be used as it comes to the English Premier League for the first time. And we find out about football in Libya as the country hasn't been allowed to host international matches since 2014. So if conditions are right, how much of a force could Libya be in Africa? We can come back very easily, you know. We have very talented players, you know. That's coming up later. It's been an eventful week in African football as the decision to order a replay of the African Champions League final was annulled by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, who've told the Confederation of African Football to refer the case to its disciplinary structures for a decision. Remember, the second leg of the final in May was abandoned and the trophy was given to Esperance of Tunisia after opponents Widad Casablanca of Morocco left the pitch following a disputed decision. However, Esperance were then told to return the trophy after the CAF Executive Committee ordered a replay on neutral ground, citing unsafe conditions. But the Court of Arbitration for Sport has ruled that CAF's Executive Committee did not have jurisdiction to order the replay. CAF now says that the competent bodies will meet shortly to decide on the case. And in other big news, the FIFA Council agreed to expand the number of teams taking part in the FIFA Women's World Cup from 24 to 32, starting from the next edition of the tournament in 2023. This is likely to mean more places for Africa. Very successful tournament in France this year, and Cameroon and Nigeria both got out of the group stage to the round of 16. That's the best showing ever for Africa, as South Africa went out at the group stage. Chances are, I'd say, there could be another place or two for Africa at the expanded Women's World Cup. Now to qualifying for the 2020 African Nations Championship, the CHAN, which is like the Africa Cup of Nations, but for home base players only. The sixth edition is on in Cameroon next year. Qualifying is on in most parts of the continent, with games last weekend and this weekend. Uh, Liberia have a 1-0 lead over Senegal. The second leg is in Dakar on Saturday, so that one is uh, quite uh, well poised. It was goalless between Tanzania and Kenya in Dar es Salaam. More on that shortly. Uh, goalless between Botswana and Zambia in the first leg. Namibia had a 2-0 win away to Comoros and Madagascar lead Mozambique 1-0 after the first leg. Lesotho, interestingly, a 3-2 win over South Africa in their first leg and for Zimbabwe, 4-0 winners away to Mauritius. So the Warriors looking good to make it through to the final qualifying round. Well, we do take the chance seriously here in Zimbabwe. The Warriors have qualified for four of the five editions and were semi-finalists back in 2014. Uh, How about there in Kenya, Ida? Kenya has actually never qualified for the chance, Steve. And to be candid, our history with the African Nations Championship isn't the best, and especially after the last edition. Just to give you quick context on the situation, you see, Kenya had won the rights to host the 2018 Chan, but was stripped of those rights at the very last minute. And despite this becoming something that we're seeing the Confederation of African Football do more and more of, in all honesty, I do have to admit that the country just wasn't infrastructurally ready. 
with that said, we would have taken part in the competition as hosts, but after being stripped of those rights, then naturally Kenya didn't even feature in the tournament. So if we do qualify, this will be the first Chan in the country's history. Kenya started its qualification journey with a nil-nil stalemate versus our neighbors Tanzania last weekend, and that was in Dar es Salaam. Now, the Taifa Stars were looking for a win to avenge that very painful 3-2 loss to the Harambe Stars at the Nations Cup. There's a lot of pride wars when we talk about Kenya versus Tanzania, and in as much as qualification is at stake, bragging rights are also definitely on the table here, Steve. Tanzania will be traveling to Nairobi for the second leg of that fixture. That's slated for this coming Sunday, but that has already been surrounded by so much drama. You see, the Football Kenya Federation is cash-strapped, and the government was supposed to honor the service provider payments in regards to this fixture, but it hasn't, and even the match day venue is yet to be booked. The Federation was actually threatening to write to Tanzania through CAF and ask the Typhus Taz not to even make the journey to Kenya for the second leg of that fixture. And we all know the consequences that would bring. So let's hope that it can be resolved before all this escalates because, you know, some of the consequences would actually involve potential bans from FIFA. Oh, goodness, that's certainly the kind of drama that we can do without. I'm sure that many of us can relate to that kind of thing. Now, Libya were the Chan champions in 2014, but their football has been in decline since then, as that same year Libya was banned by FIFA from hosting international matches. That applies to the national teams and to clubs in continental competitions. So they have to play their home matches in other North African countries, usually in Tunisia. This ban was due to security concerns because of the civil war in the country. Now at the Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt, I got to speak to the Deputy Secretary-General of the Libya Football Federation, Mohamed Gremida. I asked him how this ban is affecting football in the country. Yeah, this is a very, very bad thing, you know, that we play all of our clubs and uh, national teams outside of Libya. Uh, you know, our people are very, they're in love with football, you know. There is nothing can go between football and our people, you know. Although you know the, our political situation, but the football means a lot to us, to the Libyan people. So they are missing to watch their uh, players playing international matches there at home. So we saw you winning the CHAN, the African Nations Championship, in 2014. So that would have been an opportunity for you to go higher exactly. with those local players. Yeah. And now you have this disadvantage not being able to play at home. Yeah, unfortunately, after that, after that big victory, uh, things went so badly. Uh, the country, you know, the, I'm talking about the, the security and safety situation, uh, which prevent us from playing. And we're still fighting to, to, to try to get back our teams to, to, to play at home. So even with this disadvantage, you've done pretty well. Al-Athli, Tripoli, I remember them in the group stage of the Champions League. Yeah. I saw them playing in Harare. They beat Zimbabwe's champions, Caps United. Olympic qualifiers this year, you very nearly beat Nigeria, but they managed to yeah. turn things around. Yeah, we, we are actually we're almost there. We won the first match. Uh, fortunately, uh, beaten by four. 
Uh, but we have we had the good team, you know, uh, Olympic, good Olympic team, yeah. And now we're preparing for uh, the Shan uh, qualification. We play uh, in September. We play Tunisia. Uh, our uh, national team now is in uh, training camp in Morocco in Rabat. We hope we'll do well in Shan. Yeah. So every home game is an away game yeah, for you. Away game. So we have a two two away game uh, matches. You know. So which is also cost us. A lot of money as well. I presume you have a domestic league on in Libya. How is it going? Yeah, we have, uh, but unfortunately, uh, for this season, we had to stop the safety and security matters. Not very well, so we had to stop the league in the middle of first uh, round. So it hasn't resumed. No, so it's been cancelled after it stops uh, in April last April. We almost done it. I mean, we had. Uh, Two weeks left in the first round. We're going to presume for the next round. It's about another 14 uh, weeks, but unfortunately we couldn't. So we decided to uh, to stop the league. Okay, Mohammed. Just finally, let's say everything was sorted out and you were allowed to play at home and you got the momentum going again. How much of a force could Libya be in African football? We can come back very easily, you know. We have a very talented players, you know. The challenges are, for now, although we are a very rich uh, country, it's a matter of the lack of money. Uh, this is our problem now. But we should be, be doing well, you know. We get back to play home. So, like I said, we love football. So that's the Deputy Secretary-General of the Libya Football Federation, Mohamed Gremida. Let me put that same question to you, Ida. How much of a force could Libya be in African football if they had the right conditions? Before the decline, I do think that Libya were poised to make some decent runs in African football. I'll get to the team in just a minute, but first I want to address their infrastructure because it was absolutely top-notch. I mean, you look at the Tripoli Stadium, for example. Steve, it's close to 90,000 sitting capacity. Even the Cairo International Stadium that recently hosted the Nations Cup final doesn't have that sort of capacity. And Tripoli is a stadium that was built back in 1970. It's simply a construction that was just ahead of its time. And it's a shame that it's of no use anymore. But back to the team, as you've said there, Steve, I mean, Libya did win the Chan just a mere five years ago and then they made the third place match in 2018 and ended up finishing fourth in that tournament and when you talk to people who really followed Libya back in the day then you get to hear about their rivalry against fellow North African teams. Libya versus Tunisia or Libya versus Morocco in particular were always very very highly charged games and they did have some pedigree they finished as runners-up in the 1980 to Afghan when they hosted it. On the other hand, they'd made just three Nations Cup appearances before their 24 decline, and the other two were group stage exits. However, even their league has been in total chaos. Their 2018-2019 season was abandoned after infighting amongst the clubs, and not to mention the fact that there is absolutely total lack of proper support structures within the federation that's also been facing its own level of chaos and infighting. That, I'm sure, doesn't help. And the civil war certainly hasn't made things any better, Steve. Yes, absolutely. But it looks like Libya do have great potential if things did come right for them. 
Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our new look website, planetsport.tv. We have our other shows there. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast. And you can read interviews with various sports stars, including Ghana's Christian Achu and Zambia's Patson Daka. That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media, and last week on the show we talked about flair in African football. While the continent used to be famous for players like Roger Miller and JJ Okocha and the amazing things that they could do, these days there's certainly less flair in the African game. Some feel the game is becoming too European in Africa. Football in general has become more scientific now, with results perhaps more important than entertainment. But do we need to bring back the days of African flair when players like Miller and Okocha used to delight us? Well, here's Adrian Barnard with some of your comments. Well, thank you, Steve. And uh, we start today on Facebook with Mojalefa Dube in South Africa, who says, Recently, most coaches have stopped players from showing flair. They despise it as showboating, and hence African football has lost direction. Players need to be given a freedom to express themselves with skills and flair, to penetrate and confuse opponents. Recently, we all saw how Bafana Bafana underperformed at the Cup of Nations due to the modern football technology that prohibits players from showing flair and individual brilliancy. Well, we move on now to WhatsApp and to Kwasu Jabi in the Gambia. No, we don't need flair anymore, says Kwasu. That's outdated now. And we rarely see it happening anyway. Football has changed. And Moses in Malawi agrees that times have indeed changed. It's difficult to go back to those days now, says Moses. People are taking almost everything out of Africa. Our culture, our celebrations and even the way we dress. We're getting to become like Europe, America or China. And so I don't think going back will work. But Lee Cisse in Malaysia disagrees. Yes, we indeed need it back, says Lee. I wasn't fortunate enough to watch Roger Miller playing, but watching JJ Okocha was all about entertainment. The African game needs that flair back, says Lee. And uh, Patrick Mwamlima in Malawi agrees. These guys were really the pride of Africa, says Patrick. One couldn't miss watching them. Even when they had to play for their national teams, people still expected fireworks from them. I'd love to have those days back by having new players today like Roger Miller, JJ Okocha, Taribo West, Mark Fish and others. And uh, here's an interesting observation from Aubrey Piri. Here in Malawi, it's ironic, says Aubrey, there's more entertaining soccer played in remote village soccer matches than in our top league games. Not much scouting is done to bring the flair players to the National League. To Sierra Leone now, and Ishmael Saidu says, I think we have equally talented players with style and skills. The only thing we need is for African football to be marketed. Europe market their players well, but for us here, even the African Champions League is not well advertised and hardly followed. If we can only market our players the same way, then we can see how good they are. And perhaps we'll find the new J.J. Okochas or Samuel Eto's, says Ismail. Stanley is in Ghana. 
On the subject of flair, yes, we need it 120% in Africa, says Stanley. Our football has become more like rugby. There is no technicality in the play, which does not make some of us want to sit behind our TVs to watch African games. You watch it and the next moment you're bored and sleeping. Our players need to learn and work hard to play good football. We're tired of watching their break and pass football, says Stanley. And uh, we always welcome your voice notes on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Joachim Mudanga in Uganda. Those days of uh, the Roger Miller, JJ Okocha, the project of uh, football, it was entertainment. But these days, football is looked at as uh, a business. So the players are looking at it as uh, a business. So they will play to earn them a living. So they won't play to entertain the viewers or the spectator, something like that. That's why the back days of African football cannot be brought back right now. Well, thanks for that, uh, Joachim. And uh, Ibrima Jawara in the Gambia agrees. Football these days is more of a business than entertainment, says Ibrima. Lamine Sonko, also in the Gambia, says, Growing up as a boy and watching the games then enticed you and made you have a special feeling about the game. African football nowadays makes you feel a little bit lazy watching them play. In this year's Cup of Nations, no entertainment or skills were shown throughout the tournament, only kick and run. The result was the main course of interest, except from a few teams, especially Madagascar, and I was very impressed with the way they played, says Lamine. And finally for today, Adama Barrow in the Gambia says, Football is a game of joy and it needs to provide entertainment. Well then, Steve, a game of joy and entertainment, is that how you see it? Well, it should be, but uh, I think Joachim in Uganda and Ebrima Jawara in the Gambia are absolutely right when they say that uh, football these days is more of business than entertainment. And I don't think you can play like Roger Miller these days, uh, not in international football anyway, because you surely will pay for it. Uh, thankfully, though, many teams still have a winger with a bit of flair, uh, like with Nigeria at the Nations Cup. We saw Samuel Chukueze and uh, Moses Simon. Well, thanks, Adrian. Thanks for all of those comments. Uh, So the English Premier League starts next weekend. It's back already. And this Sunday, we have the Community Shield at Wembley as Manchester City take on Liverpool. And Arsenal completed the signing of Ivory Coast winger Nicolas Pepe on Thursday from French side Lille for a club record fee of £72 million. That's around $87 million. This makes Pepe the most expensive African player ever, ahead of DR Congo's Cedric Bakamba. Algeria's Riyad Mahrez and uh, Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, Pepe is 24. He signed a five-year contract with the Gunners. He got 35 goals in 74 games for Lille in the French League One. And Arsenal boss Unai Emery says that signing a top-class winger has been one of their key objectives in this transfer window. Uh, other transfer news, Aston Villa signed Zimbabwe international marvellous Nakamba from Club Bruges for an undisclosed fee. We're very excited about that to hear in Zimbabwe. That's Villa's 12th signing ahead of the new season. Also they signed Trezeguet, the Egypt forward. And Idrissa Gay has left Everton and moved to Paris Saint-Germain in a big move. Well, our European football expert Stuart Weir is with us from the UK. Uh, Which other transfers catch your eye, Stuart? Well, I think just going back to the idea of Arsenal signing an Ivorian winger, we were pretty much expecting that, but we thought it was going to be Wilfred Zaha of Crystal Palace. 
who has been linked with a move to Arsenal for some time. But now that is not going to happen. And there's really a big question as to whether Zaha will get a move or whether he will finish up staying at Palace. I think my money is probably that he will still be there. And talking of Palace, they've signed Jordan Ayew from Swansea City. But overall, so far, I think this has been quite a dull transfer window and not a lot of really eye-catching deals. I mean, we could start with noting that Leicester City have signed Yuri Tielemans and Everton Andre Gomez, who were both playing for them last season, but on loan. So they've made that permanent. We expected a lot of activity from Manchester United. And my goodness me, don't they need a few players? But so far, they've only signed two. Aaron Juan Bissaka, the Crystal Palace right back, and the defence certainly needed a bit of attention. And then Daniel James, a winger from Swansea City. But again, you know, neither of these two players are absolute top players who are going to transform the team. But I suppose you might say that Manchester United fans are just as interested to know if Paul Pogba, Anthony Martial and Romelu Lukaku will still be there when the season begins because there's speculation about all of them. Fabian Delph has moved from Manchester City to Everton. You may say, why is he leaving the best club in England? But the answer is probably he's only had 39 starts in four years and feels that his England career will be helped if he's playing more regularly. City have signed Rodri from Atletico Madrid, a 23-year-old midfield player. But again, not somebody who's going to go straight into the first team and transform everything. West Ham have had a real clear out. 17 players in all, including Adrian, Andy Carroll, Samir Nasri, Marco Anatovic, who's gone to Shanghai, and Pedro Obiang. So, really interesting things happening at West Ham. And the main player they've signed is Sebastian Haller, a French player from Eintracht Frankfurt in Germany. He scored 15 goals in 23 games last season. So, if he can do it in the Premier League, that'll be wonderful. Tottenham, you may recall, did not sign one player in the two transfer windows last season. Now, they've done a big money deal for Tangi Novelli from Lyon. Uh, He's 22 in the second season from Lyon, but again, not a world-class player as yet. And incidentally, the second player that Tottenham signed was a 17-year-old called Keon Etetti from Notts County, who's yet to start a game for Notts County. So he's definitely one for the future. I wonder if we'll see more activity from Tottenham in the coming days. Well, yes, and the transfer window closes next Thursday as the opening game is next Friday with Liverpool playing Norwich. And uh, it, uh, <clears throat> Norwich. Uh, so the video assistant referee will be used in all games in the English Premier League this season. It's a new thing in the Premier League and there's been some clarification, Stuart, as to how it will be used. We haven't talked a lot about the Women's World Cup, but there was a certain amount of criticism of some of the VAR decisions there. And the Premier League has now clarified by saying that handball, as interpreted in the Premier League, will be similar to last season, i.e. a much less strict interpretation than we saw in that Women's World Cup or indeed in the Champions League. At penalties, VAR will not rule on whether the goalkeeper is off his line, on his line unless a clear and obvious error has been made by the on-field officials. On the other hand, offsides will be judged absolutely to the millimetre, so an attacker who has a toe ahead of the defender will be deemed to be offside. With red cards, 
VAR will step in if they believe the referee has made that clear and obvious error or if there's been mistaken identity, those two situations only. And something which some of us will be quite happy about, referees are being discouraged from going to look at the pitch side monitor unless it's absolutely essential for them to do so. But, of course, the other side of the coin, that means that the final decision has been taken away from the referee who will now be told by VAR that he has to change his decision. And, again, I'm not totally sure about that one. So we'll see how it all works out. Uh, Thanks, Stuart. This week on social media, asking for your prediction. Who do you think will win the English Premier League? Man City, the defending champions. Liverpool went on to win the UEFA Champions League. So will it be a two-way battle between these two? Or can the likes of Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham challenge them? So who will be the champions and why? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine. Double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Would you like to make a prediction there, Ida? I think it's still way too early to tell, Steve. I don't want to make my prediction just yet. (laughs) Uh, But the one thing we do know, at least by the looks of it, is that it'll be quite the season lined up. But I do think that the Community Shield on Sunday will be able to give us a good gauge of how, you know, the top two horses, so to speak, in the English Premier League will be able to do. Granted, I do think that majority of their star players won't be able to take part. When we focus on Liverpool, for example, the likes of Sadio Mane, Mo Salah did take part in the Nations Cup. Sadio Mane going all the way to the final and this is after going all the way to the final of the Champions League. So some players really haven't been able to have that rest. And the same can be said for the Reds goalkeeper, Alison Becker, who with Brazil got all the way to the Copa America final and he did manage to win it. So we can see that some players have been under extreme stress and physical fatigue. So I do think that it will be minus the key players that a lot of people are used to. But nonetheless, I do think it will be a good gauge. Um, Will it be a two-way battle between, you know, Manchester City and Liverpool for the EPL title? We don't know yet, but going by how last season was, then you wouldn't blame too many people for thinking that the two teams will just pick up from where they left off. Uh, Focusing on the likes of maybe Manchester United and Arsenal, I still think that the two teams have a while to go before they can become title contenders. You know, Manchester United not doing too badly in the preseason, but we all know preseason and the actual league are two different things. Chelsea... We have to wait and see. I'm being a bit tentative with this because there's been a lot of transition with Chelsea. Their star player, Eden Hazard, is gone to Spain. You know, their coach, who they won the Europa League with last season, Maurizio Sarri, has since left the team and gone back to Italy. So there's just lots of transition happening. However, they have managed to get the services of Christian Pulisic. And we did see in uh, their recent friendly versus Salzburg that Pulisic gave quite a show. And, you know, many Blues fans are hoping that he will be able to replicate his his preseason form in the normal league because you know as i just said it's totally different steve it's it's tricky it's tricky for all the teams involved but you know looking at manchester city and liverpool it's looking like they will be able to pick up from where they left off 
it will be, you know, a wait and see game to see if Tottenham can be able to make it all the way to the end in terms of their title contention because we've seen them time and time again. You know, Steve, some people tend to call them the serial bottlers because they always manage to make it just very close to the end and then somehow run out of steam. But hopefully um, their coach Pochettino, I mean, he got all the way to the Champions League final last season, didn't spend a cent. So hopefully the board has seen that incentive and will be able to uh, give him the fans within which he can work. But it, I'm looking forward to the English Premier League season. Oh, yes. Well, I'm forecasting more of the same. I think it's going to be Man City against Liverpool for the title. And I'm wondering if this time one of the two teams might drop points early on. Uh, Just my prediction. And on your earlier point there, Ida, on lack of rest, a report from Players Union FIFPro says that the health of top players is at risk because of congested match schedules and that there should be mandatory off-season breaks of four weeks and a limit on matches played. And Sadio Mane has given us an example in this report. Last season, he played in 70 matches and travelled 100,000 kilometres to represent his national team without the benefit of a mid-season break. And just before I go, one amazing story last weekend as Reunion Island beat the host Mauritius to win the Indian Ocean Islands Games after an amazing penalty shootout. Reunion goalkeeper Matthew Pelops put up a man-of-the-match display, stopping all five penalty kicks to help his team to win 1-0 in the shootout after a 1-1 draw. Not sure if that has ever happened before. Well, that's it for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.